We are in part four of our Ephesians series. Uh, if you've missed any of this series, you've got to go online and go check it out. Uh, we were gone last week, but Glenn Herr preached last week. Or Glenn, are you here? I think they might be out of town this week. Glenn Herr did a fantastic job leading up to this week's sermon. Last week, Glenn Herr talked about uh, what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be in him. Um, and it was just awesome. So we're spending a few weeks, uh, and, and during the summer, I'll just give you, I'll give you the backdrop. During the summer, we like to dig, dig into a book of the Bible because we know that people coming to church in the summer are the real faithful believers, and you guys are here for real, and you want to dig in. So we dig into um, different books of the Bible, and we're doing a letter. We're looking at a letter that was, it's called the Ephesians because it was written to a group of people that lived in the city of Ephesus, but the letter was so powerful and life-transforming that it became what they call a cyclical letter, which means they shared it all around. Different Christians all around the world started reading it and whatever, and then it got so popular that they, they, put it together with a bunch of other letters and they put a leather bound thing around the back of it and then they made it into this thing that we're going to be reading today, which is the Bible. So um, uh, we're digging into this letter and the whole concept about, about this letter is that the idea is that the better you understand who you are, the better you understand what to do. Um, if you really understand who you are, then the actions that flow out of, of you flow more naturally because you understand who you are. So Paul spends a lot of time in this letter. At the beginning of this letter, the apostle Paul spends a lot of time saying, this is who you are. Um, If you look in your sermon notes, I think you guys all have a copy of, yeah, pull out your sermon notes. There's a copy of the last four, uh, last three chapters of this letter. So a few weeks ago, I gave you chapters one, two, and three in, 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 uh, you know, in one page. Uh, front and back. And then now today you've got four, five, and six. That's the whole letter. So you can read that today between, you know, roast beef and your nap. You can just pull that baby out, read the second half of the letter. Um, and that version that you have is in what's called the message translation. There are different translations of the Bible. The message is a great translation for devotional because it's written in a very contemporary idiom. It's written in a very contemporary style. Um, So it's great for devotional reading. It's not that great for preaching from because it's written too sort of like casually for me to really just like drill into and and preach from it. Plus, I grew up in the King James you know, King, you know, the devil's more scared of the King James Version than he is of the, because he's the, the these and the therefores and the thous, that scares him. He runs, runs from whither for so ever thou knowest. So, um, so we, we sometimes use that. Today I'm using the NIV. So what I'm, all that to say, don't read along with that page that I gave you or else you'll go, what? So in your sermon notes and on the screen is going to be the version that I'm reading. Was all that entirely clear? Everybody good? Everybody tracking? Good. All right. I like to keep everybody involved, you know, early on especially. So, so we're going to look at this chapter four. This is the second half. And really what happens in the second half is Paul turns the corner from here's who you are to here's what you do in light of who you are. All right. So let's start right here in the first, first verse of the fourth chapter. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, he was in prison when he wrote this actually, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling, listen to this, that you have received. So he's talking about living a life now based on the identity and the purpose that you received 
before the foundations of the earth, is what he says earlier in this passage. So what he's doing here is saying, I've already given you the who you are. Now I'm going to give you the do. I gave you the who. Now I'm giving you the do. I do this with, with my children sometimes, with my boys. I'll say, boys, we're Romes. We're Rome boys, okay? And Rome boys, Rome boys, if they fall off their bike, they get back on because that's who we are. That's who we are, so that's what we do. If, 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 you know, if our mother tells us to do something, your mother, not my mother, uh, if your mother tells you to do something, um, you do it. You respect your mother That's because that's who we are. We're Rome boys, right? Rome boys don't leave ice cream cones in the back of dad's car on the, on the floorboard to melt into the fabric of the carpet and smell like rotten rodents for the next three. We just don't do that, right? That's not who we are. So I give them the who, and then I follow up with the do. My son is actually in the audience today, and he's looking at me right now going, mm, that's okay, all right, I'm, I'm with you, dad. Um, so that's what Paul's doing. So he says, I've given you the who, I'm going to give you the do. And then here's the do. He says, be completely humble. How many of you are completely humble here today? Anybody? Good. All right, good. We got one completely humble person. Anybody kind of humble? Anybody kind of humble? All right. Anybody too humble to raise your hand right now? You're just so humble, you can't even acknowledge it. Okay. Um, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. This is what it looks like to live out the identity that I said that you were. Remember, he said in the first three chapters, you're righteous, you're holy, you're loved, you're chosen, you're an heir of God, you're loved entirely. There's nothing that you can do to escape his love. You can, you know, fly up to heaven and his love will be there. You can make your bed in hell and his love will be there. You can go across the seas, his love's gonna be there. You can go to the mountaintops. His love is going to be there no matter where you are, no matter where you've been. His love is with you. You are a child of God. That's who you are. And so, as a child of God, knowing who you are, this is what you do. And then he skips down a few, uh, a few lines and he pushes really hard in here. He says, I want to tell you this, and I'm going to insist on this in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And we don't use that phrase very much anymore. We don't say, These, those Gentiles, what are they doing? You know, what, but what he's talking about, these are people that, have, that are willfully, willfully ignorant of the things of God. These are people who have, who have experienced, like that song says, uh, Eric, that you sang this morning, the song that says, how great thou art. The universe displays your grandeur. The stars in the sky display the wonder and the awe and the reverence and the power of the almighty God who created everything. And he's saying, there are people that have, ex- have experienced that and then they've just turned away from that, right? There's two, they, they just don't, they don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to adhere to it. He says, so don't, don't live, no, live no longer as the Gentiles do. He says, in the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the, now this, this is a very important phrase, because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. He's saying that it's a willful ignorance. It's a turning, of, it's a stubbornness of the heart that causes them to not experience the grandeur and the greatness and the love of God. Have you ever, have you ever done something stupid just because you're being stubborn? Anybody ever just, just because you're digging in your heels and you know it's dumb when you're doing it, but you can't stop yourself from doing it because you're so stubborn you don't want to move off of the thing that you're doing. You, do you know what I mean? Your spouse knows what I mean about you. So um, I, I love, to, I love to, to, to mess with my wife 
you know, like to tease her from when I'm preaching. Because this is the, this is the only time where I, you know, I have total control of the details of the stories that I tell. There are no interruptions, no corrections. I can just, I can just tell the story. And if I want to, you know, change the details to fit in with my theme or whatever, I can do that. And nobody can stop me. And so I love that. And so I like to sometimes tell stories about, you know, she'll sometimes run out of gas with her car. This has happened a few times in our relationship, you know. She'll, she'll be driving along and, and then I'll get a call and she'll be in like Wildwood and, and like she needs gas and so then I'll drive out. And so anyway, I used to tease about that from, from the pulpit. But, but on vacation this, this summer, last week, um, roles got reversed and so I can no longer openly mock my wife for running out of gas. Uh, we're in rural Michigan and we're talking away and in the van and having a good time and enjoying each other and everybody's cool and suddenly I feel a shudder under the pedal of the car just like a like that and I was like I was going 70 I was going 67 and um and I was cruising down and I feel this and I go wow oh, that's weird we must have hit those you know rivets or ridges in the in, in the road but the car just starts slowing down and the car turned off I mean it turned off and so I'm like, and she goes, are we out of gas? And I'm like, I think it's the transmission that's not working right now. So I pull over and, you know, we're, we're, we're the needle's buried, man. We are so out of gas. And what made it worse is that 20 minutes earlier, we were pulled over at the side of the road getting some food. And we were 50 yards from a gas station. And Rebecca said, hey, babe, should we pull over and get some gas? And you know, in my mind, I had checked the gauge a couple hours ago. So I was like, no, nah, babe, we're good. We got to keep moving. Everything, we got to keep flowing. Got to keep this party going. You got babies. They all need to go to the bathroom 20 times on this trip. I'm, you know, we're, we're going. We don't need gas. We need to go. So that happened 20 minutes earlier, right? Which I didn't need. I could have just looked at the gauge. But see, my stubbornness made me do something stupid. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want your stubbornness I don't want you to get stuck. Don't get your heart calloused because what it'll do is it'll make you do dumb things that actually hurt you. They make your life worse. You will trek your family across a field over a barbed wire fence down a dirt road to ask a stranger for a, for a gas can if you let your heart get stubborn, all right? So don't do that, he says. The hardening of their hearts. He said they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. In other words, he's saying they've become so stubborn in, the, in their ways that they are, they are takers. All they do is money, sex, power, whatever it is, they just more of it. I just want more, 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 more for me, right? I'm never giving. I'm never serving. I'm never loving. I'm never thinking about others. I'm just taking it in. He says, do not be that way. He says that... However, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. You learned a different way. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. And here's where we're going to dig in, okay? He said, put off your old self. Put it off. Take off the old self. Discard it. Renounce it. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, And then he says this, and then put on the new self. Take off the old self, put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off, he says, the old life, 
and put on the new life. I'm going to title today's sermon, What Are You Going to Wear? What are you going to wear? Turn to your neighbor and say, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? All right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Target? Um, um, <laughs> so, I, I don't know if you've ever had this happen where you show up somewhere and you're inappropriately dressed. Has anybody ever done that? Anybody ever been in the situation? This happens to me relatively frequently because I don't like to think that much about what I wear. I have a uniform. I wear it every day. It's the same thing. It's dark jeans, a monocolored shirt, blue, gray, or black. <laughs> the guys in my life group are like, yeah, dude, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to work on that. Um, they've offered to take me shopping. People have bought me clothes that are other colors, like red or something crazy. And... Um, uh, you know, black belt, black wa- watch. I mean, that's what I wear every day. If, if I could just wear the same clothes, the exact same clothes, every, I would do that. Sometimes if I know I'm not going to see anybody on Tuesday that I saw on Monday, I'll wear, but no, that would take away the point if I actually told you that, wouldn't it? So I won't tell you. But um, no, sometimes, you know, it's just, I don't like to think about it. But what happens then is sometimes I show up and everybody else is dressed differently. So they might be in suits and ties, and I'm the only guy in this uniform, right? And, and so I used to keep a suit coat in my trunk and a tie, but of course it never matched whatever else I was wearing. So anyway, I just gave up on it, right? But I, I felt a lot better after I heard the story of another church planter who had a much worse inappropriate wardrobe situation when he was planting a church in Southern California. There's a true story. Uh, a guy that was working with John Orberg, uh, he... he was planning a church in Southern California, and I th- want to say his family is from like Wisconsin or somewhere. And so they're at the apartment complex in Southern California, and there's going to be a, a mixer, like a pool party. And his wife hadn't come out yet, so he was out at the apartment by himself, and he thought, this is going to be a great opportunity. I'm going to meet all my neighbors. I'm going to tell them about our church. I'm going to invite them to church. It's going to be great. You know, I'll get to mix and mingle with everybody, and you know, I want to fit in. So he runs to the store. He got himself some shorts, you know, a t-shirt, flip-flops, Ray-Bans, whatever, the Southern California thing he was trying to promote, right? So he goes to this party. Everybody's in the pool. They're playing volleyball. They say, hey, come on, play, play volleyball with us. So he jumps in the pool. No problems. In the pool, playing volleyball, gets out, has, you know, burgers and dogs. Everybody's talking. Uh, and he starts telling people, hey, you know, I'm a church planner, and uh, we're planning a church, and it's just going to be really great, and, you know, you guys should come, whatever. And he's noticing that people are just kind of not totally vibing with him, right? And here's the thing. Here's what he didn't know. When he ran to the store to buy the shorts and the shirts, he, he, he ended up buying a pair of shorts that were from a novelty line of clothing. And this is a true story, okay? A novelty line of clothing so that when they were dry, they just looked like normal board shorts. But when they were wet, they had images of hula dancers appearing on the shorts, okay? And the hula dancers were wearing grass skirts, traditional, Flower lays around the neck, traditional, and and that was it. And so, so, so this pastor is going around saying, you know, you got to come to our church. It's going to be really great and whatever. And he's got topless hula dancers dancing all over his shorts, and he can't figure out why everybody is kind of going like, okay, yeah, we're not going. We've had some of those churches in Southern California before. Um, so, so, 
So anyway, this guy, the thing is, his identity didn't change. He was who he was. He didn't find out literally until he got home. And he gets back to the apartment. He looks in the mirror. And he's like, oh man, no wonder. Um, but this, his true identity hadn't changed, right? He was still a man of God. He was preaching the gospel. He was, you know. But the thing that he was wearing did not align with his true identity, right? So Paul is using this metaphor of clothing. He's not actually talking about your actual clothing, but he's talking about your actions in life, your conduct, your behavior in life. And he's saying there's an old way of life, like, like old clothes, and then there's a new way of life, which are like the new clothes, and the new clothes match your identity. And so I want you to put on the new clothes and take off the old clothes. Put off the old and put on the new. So here's the metaphor he's using. Naveen, go ahead and put that scripture back on there. Not there yet. Come back, come back to that scripture. There he goes. He's saying, put off your old self and then put on your new self. So the old self is kind of like, kind of like, kind of like this old jacket right here. This jacket is a Salvation Army special. I just got it this week. And it is made of pleather. Anybody got a pleather coat out there? Any pleather? No pleather wearers today? Nobody admitting to wearing pleather? I have a friend whose daughter had a nice jacket on. It looked like leather. This week, I heard him say, he's like, hon, you know, take off your pleather coat. I'm like, why do you have to call her out like that? Like, it actually looked like leather. I was buying the leather, and now you're saying it's pleather. So Paul is saying, you know, you're wearing old clothes, right? And you've, you're, you've, your identity has changed but, but some of you are still wearing the clothes from your former identity. Here's what they represent. The, the old clothes represent these kinds of things. You don't have to write all these down. Just write down the ones that apply to you. Okay? So we'll take about 10 minutes. And, um, right? He's saying these are the kinds of things that were part of your former self. And you were wearing them in your former self. But I've transformed your identity. So now the person is different. But the clothes are the same. They're from before. And, and, and I want you to take these clothes off because they no longer fit with, they no longer align with the reality of who you are. Now, when we become followers of Jesus, the more we understand who we are, the more sensitive we are to our true identity in Christ, the more uncomfortable these clothes feel. They start to feel less and less comfortable the more we understand who we really are in Christ. Before we are in Christ, maybe, you know, fudging the truth a little bit at work to get ahead didn't seem so bad. Other people are doing it, and it's just part of the thing, and everybody does it, right? But when you really begin to understand who you are in Christ, that you're an heir of God, that you're a child, a beloved child of God, and you were, you know, uh, chosen by him and loved by him and adored by him— that kind, of, that kind of material doesn't fit so well anymore, right? If, if, if in your pre-Christ days, you were, you know, looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at, you're looking, looking at pornography, and other guys are looking at pornography, and you're going, yeah, that's just part of the deal, you know, it's just normal, it's like, and you become a follower of Jesus, you start to understand who you really are. That doesn't really fit. That no longer really fits right. It's kind of a, you know, this coat stinks, actually. I just got this from the Salvation Army. And it smells. You know exactly what smell I'm talking about, right? If you've ever been to a thrift shop, it's that smell that I'm smelling right now. If we could pipe it through here, we would have an experience. Like, um, 
It smells. It's falling apart. It doesn't work for you anymore. It's not you anymore. It doesn't match your true identity anymore, right? It was easier before to hold on to a little bit of bitterness and unforgiveness in your life. Somebody dissed you. Somebody messed you, know, messed you up. And the normal reaction, absolute normal reaction, is to hold a grudge against them and to be bitter and unforgiving towards them. That is normal. That's absolutely normal, right? That's what you normally do. That's what people do. But then I read somewhere about this one guy who was, who was like put on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? And when you start to put your life in his hands, then the bitterness and the unforgiveness doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't really work that much anymore. It doesn't really work for you anymore. It's no longer comfortable. What was comfortable starts to become uncomfortable. The problem is, and you know this, Old clothes, some of you have some really old clothes right now that you're thinking of in your closet right now. It's either a bathrobe or it's a sweatshirt or it's those nasty sweatpants that are balling up everywhere or the worst offenders are the uh, slippers. Some of you have some old stinky slippers that you just, you're so familiar with, you don't want to let them go, right? That's the problem with the old clothes. You're so familiar with, you're so familiar with the old way of life. We're so familiar with the way we were living and and old familiarity is easier than having faith for the new thing that God wants for you, you understand? And so we kind of get stuck wearing some old clothes. We kind of get stuck in some old patterns and some old ways of life and some old habits. We kind of get stuck there. How many of you, Know somebody who lives in your house who has an item of clothing that it needs to be thrown away right now. Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so the problem is we get attached, right? So, so I, I bought a pair of sandals like, like 15, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. These sandals, they're rubber sandals, they're Nike sandals, and they, they, you can take them anywhere. They're athletic-type sandals. You know, they've got the straps everywhere and the Velcro, and, and they're fantastic. And they're especially fantastic for me because I, for whatever reason, this very odd quirk that I don't normally share with, you know, a group of people, but my, the bottom of my feet are very sensitive. They're very tender. Um, TMI, I'm too much information, but, but what, makes, what makes these sandals so near and dear to me is that they allow me to do things that I can't do. I actually cannot run on a beach barefooted because my feet are so sensitive. So that's something you know about me that you didn't know before right now. And so I got these sandals and I was like, oh, this is it. So now I can climb trees. I can run, run on the beach. I can do whatever because I've got these great sandals. So I've had these sandals for like 12 years. And, and they've been perfect for me and they fit perfectly and everything's great. But over time, the last few months, they're starting to kind of degrade you know, the, like the rubber and the old and the material and the seams starting to come apart. And so we're on vacation and I'm, and I'm running around in these sandals and we're in like rural Michigan and we're going running up sand dunes and jumping off sand cliffs and climbing trees, jumping in the water. And what I'm noticing is that every day these sandals start to fall apart a little bit more. So every night I'm going home and I'm mending the sandals and I'm using like fishing string and zip ties and duct tape and I'm like whatever that I can use, kite string, you know, and, and, and fixing the sandals every day and then going back out. So every Every day, these sandals are looking worse and worse and worse until literally one day I'm, I'm on the beach and the sandals are falling, flopping down. The bottom part is flopping like this. They're dragging, you know, I'm tripping. And so I'm on the beach and I find some trash 
bags that are trash. They're trash bags, and, I'm, and they are trash, and they're trash bags on the beach. And I take them, and now I'm tying them around my thing until my cousins, my wife's cousins, actually stop me at one point. And they go, do you mind if we take a picture of those monstrosities? So this is where, this is what we got to, you know. And I was kind of like, I was kind of like, yeah, but, the, you know, they're working. Everything's, you know, we're going, we're good. Until my wife literally said, I can no longer be seen with you wearing these sandals. I just can't. You'll have to walk 50 yards ahead of me. So, or behind me, actually. Um, and so, reluctantly, sadly, you know, I had to let these sandals go, right? And the problem is, right, they're so familiar that you just don't want to let some things go. What habits... What old patterns, what things are you, do you have in your life right now? So what are the old clothes that you're still wearing? What are the old clothes that as an heir of God, a child of God, a beloved child of God, no longer fit you? That are tripping you up and dragging you down and keeping you from becoming who you really are? What are you still wearing that you don't need to be wearing anymore? Because here's the beautiful thing about this metaphor. Paul says, what you can do with that stuff is you can just take it off. It's not like it stains you so deeply that you've got to scrub it all out of you. You don't have to pay penance for the rest of your life. He says, put it off. Take it off. Drop it. Let it go. Get rid of it. Get rid of those stinky sandals. Get rid of that old life. Take that off because that doesn't fit you anymore because I've got something better for you. He says, I want you to put on the new clothes. I've got something better for you to put on. So I'm going to put this on. This is, this is by far the coolest item of clothing I have ever owned in my life. And my son Lincoln, whenever we go out together, makes me wear this because... He's got a matching one, and we just walk around matching with our leather jackets. That's how we do it. See, he's saying, look, I've got something that fits you better, that smells better, that's made of better material, it's better quality, it looks better, it's going to allow you to move better. It's, it's everything about it is better. Here's what the new clothes are. He says, here's your new clothes. It's like this. Put these things on. Put on joy, humility, gentleness, goodness, patience, forgiveness, unity. Put this stuff on. Take the old stuff off. Put the new stuff on. Why? Not because God is trying to restrict you. Not because God is trying to, uh, um, you know, purge you of your individuality. Not because God is trying to repress or suppress some aspect of your life. He made you in the unique way that you are. And what he wants you to do is to be liberated to live that out. And the new clothes are not going to drag you down and trip you up and make you fall in the water. They're going to they're liberate you to walk out the life that he has for you and that he made for you before the foundations of the earth. He's got this identity. He wants you to live it out in the new clothes that he has for you. He said, take off the old clothes and then put on the new clothes. The question that you and I have, that every person here has, if you're here today and, and you've listened so far, you're probably going, I get that. I would love to just drop off the old junk that I've carried around in my life. I'm happy to get rid of that. I, I, I want to get rid of that, right? 
And I want to put on the new clothes. I want my life to look like this. Right? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. I want, Jesus saying, I want you to live like this. You're saying, I want to live like this. But how do I do this? How do I get rid of the old and put on the new? Well, look what, look what Paul does in this passage. And, and I'm going to get ready to close. Um, Ben, why don't you guys come on up? Why don't you come on up? I'm, I'm going to close this out in a minute. He says, put off your old self, right? He says, put on the new self. But look at the thing he puts right in the middle. Here's what he puts right in the very middle. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. You want to know where the, the changing room is from the old self to the new self? It's right here. It's in the attitude of your mind. It's being refreshed. It's being renewed in the attitude of your mind. This phrase, be made new, the the, ananeo is the Greek word. It's the only time in the Bible that it's used. It's used one time. It's used right here. And what it means is to constantly be in a state of refreshment and renewal. To always be inviting Christ to renew your heart and renew your mind. Your identity is there. It's not about whether you are a child of God, whether you are a beloved heir of Christ, whether you are uh, chosen and holy and blameless, that's who you are, right? But you've got to be reminded of that. You've got to be reminded of that in the changing room of your mind to be refreshed. Put that changing room slide up, Naveen. When we pray, we're reminded of who we are. When we spend time looking at the mirror of Scripture, we're reminded who we really are. When we spend time in devotion, either alone or with somebody else, we're reminded, we're renewed in the attitude of our mind who we really are. When we spend time in community, when we're around other people who are caring and connecting and growing with us in life groups or small groups, we're being renewed, we're being refreshed in who we are. When we serve others, we're being reminded who we really are because Jesus came not to be served but to serve and when we put him on, when we wear his clothes, then that's what we do, right? We're reminded, we're renewed, we're refreshed when we spend time doing the kinds of things that allow the Spirit of God to renew us. Doesn't mean I wish my story was this. I would love for my story to be this. I became a follower of Jesus and from that point on, I put off my old self. I never ever picked it up again. I never did anything wrong from the time that I, was, that I became a believer until today. I would love that to be my story. You know that's not true about me and you know that's not true about you right that's not true about anybody and the more you you know think that's true you're you're either deceived or deceiving that's not who you are because this is a process of you being renewed and refreshed and here's the thing i don't know if you know this about new clothes but they're not always comfortable when you first put them on you ever put on a brand new pair of shoes really nice shoes they're not that comfortable when you first put them on But once you get to walking around in them a little bit, you start breaking them in, you start going, oh, wow, these are starting to feel kind of comfortable for me. You get a new jacket. It might not be comfortable at first, might feel awkward at first, but, you know, you wear it a little bit, you practice, you persevere, you spend time in the disciplines of of the faith. You start going, you know what, actually, I don't want to pick that up. And when you do pick it up, you go, nah, not me. You put it back down, right? You don't wear it walking around in it. 
you start going, I just don't want to be a part of that anymore. You come walking over to this jacket, the wafting odor of the nastiness comes up into your nose. You go, yeah, I'm not going to go there, right? Because God is saying, look, I want, I want to refresh you. I want to renew you in your mind to remind you who you really are so that you can keep taking off the old and putting on the new. And if you accidentally put that back on, just take it back off. And if you put it back on, then just take it back off. And if you put it back on, just take it back off, right? And keep putting on the new stuff, putting on the joy, practicing the righteousness, practicing serving and loving and spending time in community and generosity because that's who you really are. So the question is, what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear? Are you going to wear the old clothes? Or are you going to wear the new clothes? Are you going to wear the clothes that don't fit anymore, that don't match you, that don't fit, that don't suit you? Or are you going to wear the new clothes? The new clothes that were designed by God. Who are you wearing? I'm wearing God's stuff. I'm wearing God's clothing line. Joy and peace and righteousness and holiness, right? And when I'm not, I'm going to put it off. I want to invite everybody today. It's going to be a small step. But one of the ways to be refreshed is to simply invite Christ, invite God into your heart, into your mind and say, God, I need you. God, I need you in my life. Lord, I need you in my heart today. Somebody told me after the first service that they say that, they actually sing that song every day. Struggling, they're struggling at work and struggling in you know, at their, at their job. And so they walk in and they go, Lord, I need you. Not every week, every hour, I need you. Every minute, I need you. I need to be refreshed because I got to keep that coat off and I got to keep putting this coat on. So Lord, I need you. Stand with me, will you, everybody? Just stand for a moment. What we're going to do, just for a minute, I want to invite you to invite Christ into your heart, into the attitude of your mind to remind you who you really are. I want to invite you to join in song as we sing, Lord, I need you. Don't come forward for worship yet, but just sing out from your heart, Lord, I need you. Eric, lead us in this song. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here. I find my rest Without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you
I want to just invite you. Some of you have been believers all your life for ever since you were a little kid. And you have been hung up on something that just isn't you. That drags you down. That trips you up. That keeps you from fulfilling the, the purpose, the calling for which you have been called. That you received. It's, it's, it's something that's holding you back. Right? And I want to invite you today just to turn that over to God and say, God, I'm taking this off. I need you. And if it comes back on me, I need you. I'm putting it back off. God, I need you. I need to be refreshed in my mind. I need to be refreshed in the attitude of my spirit. Lord, and and I want to invite you to, to make a commitment. Make a commitment to put yourself in that changing room, to put yourself in an environment where God can transform your heart and mind. It doesn't, this is a start. What we're doing here, this is part of it. Coming here on a Sunday, hearing the word of God, opening your heart, listening, singing, praising God, that's part of it. But that's not enough. That's not, that's not enough. We got to spend time being refreshed by God, resting in him, spending time in the scripture, spending time in prayer and saying, God, I just need you to open up my life, to help me take off the old stuff and to put on the new because of that is who I really am.